Welcome to Peers Like Me, a podcast hosted by Western New York Independent Living. Today, our guest is Todd Vowick, the Chief Policy Officer of the Western New York Independent Living Family of Agencies. Our host is Mara Kelly, the voice of the individuals WNYIL serves. Welcome to Peers Like Me podcast. My name is Mara Kelly. I'm the Western New York Independent Living Behavioral Health Peer Liaison. And Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed by people who have been severely and personally impacted by mental health issues. For many people in this situation, seeking to be understood and having hope for recovery is often elusive. Peers Like Me podcast aims to address these barriers by educating listeners on all the different ways people can seek help, understanding, and hope through interviewing our guests about their journey of recovery, their community leadership, and successful lives despite their own issues related to mental health. Peers Like Me podcast also envisions an increased understanding of our community, neighbors, and co-workers to have each one of us truly be included in our community and hope for recovery and living very fulfilling lives. And today we have the great privilege to be in the company of Todd Varwick, my fellow peer and colleague and chief policy officer there you of go. the West New York Independent Living. It's great to be here. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. So Todd and I, I've known Todd for at least 25 years, mm-hmm. and he is a wealth of information on people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. He's a fellow peer, and there's something that's been always been a question, and Todd is like the authority on it. Todd is... Like, if you want to know anything about accessibility and making it through life with a disability, Todd is your resource. <laughs> my family's used them. I've used them. So in my travels, in all over the place, and in fact, in one group I'm in, everyone has a dog. Right. And service animals uh, come up all the time. People with mental health disabilities are like, can I get a service animal? And and what, you know, everyone's got, can people with psychiatric disabilities have a service animal? And what's the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal? Right. And I know, Todd, you know the regulations inside and out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it's, like, there's so much we need to learn. Like, my family gets really upset when they hear about these bizarre service animals. Right. But it shouldn't even be a question. Well, okay. So when back when I first got trained in the ADA back in, you know, the 90s when right. I signed it, right? right? Service animal was a really broad definition. The definition hasn't really changed much over the years except in 2008 they limited it. They limited service animals to dogs and miniature horses. But right. prior to 2008, a service animal could be any common domesticated animal that performed a service that assisted a person with a disability. So we had a lot of, uh, we, had, we had monkeys. Uh, there was a guy that came to my office one day. He, had a, he was visually impaired. He had a bird who sat on his shoulder. I, I remember a, a video of a guy getting in an airport, airplane with a, a, a peacock, a huge right. peacock on right. his shoulder. Yeah. Right. Now, th- those stories... Right and others like them were one of the reasons why in 2008 they changed service animals to dogs and miniature horses. But 
Here's a really unusual thing as to why there are these many levels of service animals. When they changed the ADA, when they changed the definition in the Americans Disabilities Act, they didn't change it in another federal law that predates the ADA, called the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Right? Okay. Now the reason why that's important is because, so we're going to describe a tree here, and at the top of the tree is going to be the term assistance animals, right? Everything federal law that talks about with dogs and animals helping disabled people is under the category of assistance animals, right? And underneath that, you got two kinds of animals. You've got the emotional support animals and the service animals. The emotional support animals, by federal definition of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, can be any common domesticated animal whose existence in your life improves your medical condition or functioning. This is the logic that you have a dog, you have a dog at home, like Maura, you've, you've had right. greyhounds forever, right? Right. And we know, we talked about the benefit of the greyhounds is you got to get up, you got to walk them, you got to get up, you got to feed them, you got to get up, you got to right. socialize them. So for yeah. someone dealing with your mental illness, that schedule was helpful. And right. I gotta go to work to feed the guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, the dogs weren't trained to do anything for you. They were just greyhounds right. you rescued that benefited your life because they were there. That's an emotional support animal. Emotional support animals are protected in housing, as in you you have the right to have an emotional support animal where you live, whether you rent, right, or not, right? But they don't have any protection outside the home. Very important to remember that. So, so I'm reading this research that the average service animal training costs mm-hmm. at least $25,000. That's true. Yeah, so if, you're, if you're training the dog to do something complex, it can be really expensive. And so they're not attacked or attacked in the community. Right. They're trained to deal with that, whereas right. an emotional support animal is safe in their house, and they don't have right. the mega training. Now, we always recommend for any kind of assistance animal that they get basic obedience training. They shouldn't be uh, reacting to other dogs right. and other animals and other stimuli in a way that's negative. But you're right. With a, an emotional support animal in your house, it's not as much a big deal. Now, service animals, by the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? they have to be dogs or miniature horses, and they have to be trained to perform a service for you that deals with your disability, right? So the most common one we know of is seeing eye dogs, right? They help uh, blind people move around, right? And that's the example. Those dogs are professionally trained to, to be observant and handle stimuli and do things in very particular ways. That training is expensive. But there are other kinds of service animals, so, yeah, so what I'm looking for is everyone to understand, or not people listening to this, mm-hmm. that service animals should not be questioned, and that there, we service animals, you don't have to go through loopholes or these... Uh, no. Get, like, and you don't have to be rich to buy a certification online to have a, certif- a service animal. I know I have, a, I have an animal... He starts barking when I get anxious, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Stop it!" And then I realize I'm anxious. So then he, then I can do the tools 
that I've been taught to decrease right. my anxiety and not right. take a pill that causes... So, in service animal language, right, right. your dog alerts right. by the barking when they, when they smell the pheromones about you being anxious. You take that signal as time to take steps to reduce your anxiety. Maybe take your medication, right. go to a quieter spot. That is the exact example of a psychiatric service animal. Right. So then what happens is my friends are saying, well, the doctor won't give me a note because, you know, they gave a note to someone, you know, and but they're freely giving out, they want pe- they encourage people to take care of themselves by taking medication, and then they're holding this, like, it, it, it's very confusing how someone has that, control or power to decide right. such things. Right, and and so, that's why... So how does the doctor make an informed medical decision on that? Okay, when you're going to your doctor and you're talking about getting a service animal, uh-huh. right, and doctors doctors are getting hit real hard right now because of the whole fake service animal right, phrase. Right. Uh, you know, anybody can go on the internet and buy right. a shawl to put over their dog and say it's a service animal. Right, we want legitimate service right? animals. We want yeah. legitimate service animals. Now, that you are in the community allowed to ask a person with a service animal a couple of questions to determine if it's a service animal. The first question is, is it related to your disability? Right? Obviously, the answer's got to be yes. But they're not allowed to ask about what the disability is because that stuff is protected. Right. The second so question like, is... like a hotel person or, right. the, a, right. or a store person yeah, okay. or whatever, right? right? The second question they're allowed to ask you is, what service does the dog perform for you? Right? Now, the answer is just the way you described it. Right? Right. Hey, if I get anxious, the the dog's going to bark to attract my attention. Maybe he runs a little circle around me and he sits. Right? right? And that's a time for me to slow down, take my medication, go somewhere dark and quiet, whatever. Right. Right? That's the answer. They're not allowed to ask you anything more than that. They're not allowed to ask for documentation for or proof of any of that. Right. Okay. So where does that documentation... What about like a landlord or a housing... Uh, when you're dealing with housing, yeah. right, I always recommend the best, best practice right, is to turn around and say, look, I need an assistance animal, whether it's an emotional support animal because it's just right. in your house or whether it's a service animal that they're going to take with you everywhere. There's a process to request that, right? You write a letter that says, look, I have a dog. This is what the dog does for me. To request from the landlord. To request request from the landlord, right? You are federally protected, right? There's no uh, breed discrimination that's permitted. Like, we have a lot of places that will say, yeah, we love service service animals. We love emotional support animals, but but, uh, no Great Danes, no pit bulls, right? Uh, they're too big. They cause too much damage. They're not allowed to do that, right? right? You pick the animal that that works for you, right? The dog or the horse. Now, and they're not allowed to charge a surcharge just for the dog to be in your apartment. No pet deposits, no nothing like that. What they can do is they can charge you if the dog does damage to the unit just like they can charge you if anything does damage to a unit, mm-hmm. Right? Dog gets excited one day and breaks the screen off a window, right? You're responsible for that, right? But 
they can't charge you like an additional security deposit potentially to right. cover those costs because you have the dog. Right. So how, where does the medical profession, how, why do I need, like, what, where in the process do I need a note from the doctor? Well, the, do, the, doctor's note set, the doctor's note identifies two things. One is that you're a person with a disability and that the animal can improve your disability or improve your functioning right. by doing these things, right? right? So, so it's not like, a, I'm, like I, I'm a snarky mood today, so I'm going to de- decline you. There's factual yes. evidence-based yeah, Doctors decisions. should always be looking at that. Like, for example, in comparing that to the amount of meds somebody takes. Right. It's right. not like, oh, we, we got a bad rep for giving these uh, notes out. They should well, be based it, on Here's yeah. the thing. It's not the doctor's fault that the process says that medical certification is where it starts. But what you have is you you can go on the Internet right now, and we do right. not recommend this, right, right at Winnow. No. You can go on the Internet right now. You can do an online form and they'll and they'll send you like a medical documentation and a certification and maybe they'll take your picture and then you can buy it right. like, you can buy a shawl. That's ridiculous because none of those people know you nor do they have any medical record of what you need. Right. And it attributes to the people not taking service animals seriously. If you have money to just buy this on the online right. the internet People right. are saying, well, is this a legitimate thing? Is this a legitimate Correct. Thing? Yeah. If anybody so, can spend if anybody can spend Eighty dollars right. in order this stuff on the internet, and an untrained animal with no community experience suddenly becomes a service animal and gets protected everywhere the animal goes. Right. This is a problem because service animals that do cost twenty five thousand dollars to train, right? Um, you know, they get into a fight. I've seen it happen. Right. I've seen a seeing eye dog need to be retired. Because they got into a fight with another service animal that didn't have basic obedience yeah. training. The thing about service animals is they have to be at all times under the control of the handler. And they have to be in good physical medical condition, right? right. So uh, you, they got to have their shots, right? They got you know, to be safe to be in the community, right? And what we found is there are a lot of these internet-based service animals right, out there that right. don't have the basic obedience training, right, who aren't in control of the handlers. They just let them wander around, right? right? Um, and then they get into fights, and that um, causes other service animals, either because of the injury or because of the experience, to be retired. And the, the emotional support animals are not covered under... Like, the protection of... A, like under They're not covered under the Americans with Disabilities right. Act. Because they're covered under Section 504, right, HUD recognizes the right to have an assistance animal in your home for support. Right. So, but if a emotional support animal gets damaged, right. that's not co- an ADA uh, reasonable accommodation service animal. Is yeah. like you, if, it, it, if, if a service animal gets hurt, there are state laws yes, yes. that hold you responsible for injuring a service animal. Right, right. So right? you're in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So... What's the average cost of your tool? Your uh, yeah, the wheelchair man. The wheelchair man right now. It's about six years old. Cost about five grand when we bought right. it new. Believe it or not, I'm just going out to get another one. Right. So we're talking about five grand. Right. So service animal, wheelchair. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's you can't get around without and, it. 
and their investments. For any of you listeners out there yeah. who, who don't know how a, a service animal for a physically disabled person or a blind person gets trained, they go to school, right? You have to go to school to be paired with an appropriate animal that meets your temperament, that meets maybe your age or your ability, right? All of those things are part of that decision as to what, as to what makes a service animal a service animal. I have two general questions. Okay, I have two questions. I know there's a lot of information. We might have to do a part two, Todd. Mm-hmm. But one, who deems a service animal a service? Who's the ADA? Who's going to point the wand and say, ta-da, you're an official service animal? Okay. In order to be a service animal, right, um, in New York, there's two things you got to do, right? You got to get a doctor's note that says that you need the service animal and what for, and then you gotta you gotta get a note from someone certified to do dog training that the dog oh, is trained to do right. that thing, right? That's that second part that people forget. Right. So if you want protection under under the state laws with regard to service animals, the first part is that doctor's note that we've already talked about. But that second part is you gotta talk to a dog behaviorist, somebody who can help you train the dog to do that thing. Right. right? Okay. That's where the most of the 25, yeah. 25 grand comes in. Now, recognizing if you're training a dog to deal with anxiety, if you're training a dog to deal with uh, diabetes, when your blood sugar gets high or low, right, that might not be as expensive as training a dog to guide a blind person. At one of the local hospitals, they said the local SPCA was a certified trainer like that could do that second part of the uh, the dog training. I thing. can't say that there aren't like a dog behaviorist or a dog trainer yeah, at the okay. SPCA that wouldn't be able to to do that. Where, right? where, where would be a resource to find what dog? See, and that's where and that's where we start. I always tell people to go to start with the service animal schools. Start okay. with the guys that do basic dog obedience. Okay. Right, because you're going to need basic dog obedience anyway. The dog's going right. to need to be able to listen to you no matter what situation they're in. Those people are going to point you to better dog behaviorists that are going to help you with that training. Okay, now the second question, and this is about community inclusion. How does the community, how does someone, how do we, uh, we see someone with a warm and fuzzy dog on their lap, and we go, oh, Toto, Toto. Yeah, How, yeah, yeah. What is the proper uh, etiquette when someone has a service animal? And, and that, the, how do we know? The proper etiquette for the guy in the street is to ignore the service animal's presence unless the service animal interacts with you in a way where you've got to talk to the handler about it. Uh, now, outside of that, right, we do not pet or distract service right. animals. Outside of that, handlers have different ways of handling that stuff. Because, for example, some dogs are friendly. So they may say, well, yeah, you could, you could pet the dog for a minute because the dog's going to get used to you and not react to you anymore. But you should ask. Right. You should always ask. Yeah. Because other handlers may have the exact opposite. The more the dog interacts with you, the more the dog will be distracted. So you always ask. Right. So, and then, okay, so it's the, you ask the person, you you, mm-hmm. you, you 
present to the person, not the animal. Correct. And then you really did. So how do people put judgment aside? Is there is there is there a need? Can someone just see a dog with a a, a thing a vest that says service? Like, is there any need for our community to just? Say, oh, that person doesn't need that. Like, where does that come from? Is I see. I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily think that judgment is the is the best way to go there, right? Okay. Because or like because you you and I both know that every disability journey is or unique. Opinion or to the right. Yeah. It's perfect to have an opinion, and I think the opinion for the general public starts when they see something go wrong. When a service animal interacts negatively with the public or negatively with another service animal. We can have an opinion about that because the dogs are supposed to be well-behaved, right? If we see an owner not treat a service animal properly, that's important. We should say something about that because owners have to treat service animals with the same dignity and respect that we would treat our pets at home. But outside of those two circumstances, right, what the dog does should not be any of our business. Just like your wheelchair is. Correct. Right. Uh, for somebody to come over and have a conversation with me about my wheelchair, other than to talk about the fact that the color clashes with my suit, right. is a—I mean—that's a huge problem. I wouldn't permit anybody to do that. So it's—it's it's kind of the same thing, right? Okay, so I got a big ass toss. Like, yeah. This is a huge issue. Would you be willing with me to do like a in-service or a, a class or a two-hour information? Sure. On. Uh, Service animals, absolutely, with with, uh, uh, with uh, emotional, mental health disabilities. It, right, absolutely. Okay, I'm happy to do it because people might be sitting at home going, "This is too hard." Right, this right. is too complicated. I can tell you from personal experience and working in independent living for thirty years, I've seen many examples where a service animal or an emotional support animal right. can completely positively yes. change the life for someone. And we haven't even gotten into taking the animal to work. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So more to follow. So if you're interested, call Maura Kelly, me, and Todd and I are right down the same uh, mm-hmm. hallway in the same building at 716-836-0822, extension 162, or email me at m k e l l e y at wnyil.org. I'll repeat that and say you're interested in this, mm-hmm. and we are going to drum up a, a workshop or an information yep. session to help people take less medication. Yeah, the That's minute we get more, the minute yeah. we get enough interest, we'll do it. Right. Okay. Thank you, Todd, so much. Uh, hey, that's great. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank okay. you for inviting me. Okay. Again, contact me at m kelly k e l l e y at w n y i l dot org. Thank you, and have a nice day. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Todd Vower, the Chief Policy Officer at Western New York Independent Living Family of Agencies. Our host has been Mara Kelly.